Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, managing partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal in this series is simple. We want to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. In today's episode, Dan talks to Jeffrey Peters, CEO of Surgical Directions, to discuss the impact of surgical services on hospitals and health systems. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are at the top of your mind. Now, let's get started. Hi, everyone. We have a great topic of discussion today. We're going to spend a little time talking about the impact on, of surgical services on hospitals' revenues, on hospitals' margins, and also a lot of the things in today's environment that are really impacting the success of success of surgical services. For a lot of hospitals and health systems, surgical services can make up anywhere between 50 to 60% of its revenue, as well as 50% of margin activity. And really when you think about it, an efficient surgical services process, a perioperative surgical process, could mean the difference between a zero margin for an organization up to probably seven to eight to nine percent of a margin for an organization. So the impact of surgical services being efficient with your surgical services really does drive a lot of financial performance. So when you think about today's environment, there's a number of factors that are really impacting the overall financial performance of surgical services. One is gonna be efficiencies, right? So how efficient an organization is in supporting its surgeons, is supporting the the whole surgical services process around say pre-authorization, getting patients in the door, block scheduling, so on and so forth. The more efficient the process is, the better the financial opportunities, right? you have the opportunity to maximize your revenues. You also have an opportunities to reduce or make efficient the cost structure around the surgical services process, especially costs. When you think about costs, all CFOs in today's environment are really focused on reducing their cost structure, right? Because we want to get to a point where our cost of care is at a level where, again, given our reimbursement, we're creating the greatest opportunity for margins around that cost of care model. So when you think about cost in surgical services, cost reduction is going to come in two areas. One is going to be around the reduction of resources, right? Unneeded resources. So that could be some staffing, that could be supply chain, that sort of thing. And that's all important, but that's sort of the long hanging fruit. The ongoing cost reduction is gonna come from reduction of the unwarranted care variation that occurs around the surgical surgical services process. So as you start to reduce the clinical variation, no doubt you reduce costs. A second area of opportunity that we're seeing in many of the organizations, and some of this is a result of COVID, is shifts in site of service. 
So prior to March of 2020, many of the hospital services um, were done in the acute care setting. Some were done in the ambulatory setting, but those that were done in the acute, obviously the margins associated with that were, could have been quite extensive. But when COVID hit, it forced organizations to either stop doing a lot of their electives or as they ramped up, they started to shift that to the ambulatory arena. Well, what this did was it created a significant site of service reimbursement differential with the payers. So as hospitals for those same services, they used to get reimbursed at one level when it was on the acute care setting. Now all of a sudden they're getting reduced at a lower level within the ambulatory arena. And payers are coming back and saying, well, look, you did it in the ambulatory arena. It must be a lower cost structure for you. So we're going to reimburse you less. What we're also seeing as a result of that, those two things, right? Shift in site of service and reduction of costs. We're seeing a ramp up of the new ambulatory surgery strategy models that are taking place. And we're going to spend some time talking about that because I believe that this is a real strong opportunity for hospitals and health systems to think about repenetrating the market and almost creating a new level of connectedness with their communities and certainly with the patients. I'm really excited today to have a colleague of mine uh, who I've known for quite some time, Jeff Peters. Jeff uh, was actually the one who got me into consulting years ago, has been a fantastic mentor to me over the years. Jeff is a, has an established, consistent track record of high performance for hospitals and health systems and has worked with many organizations, top organizations around the country and improving their financial performance over the years. Jeff, welcome to the show. Really happy to have you. It's, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So, Jeff, you know, I, I know you're doing a lot of work in this area. You know, this is something you've been passionate about for, for quite some time. You know, maybe we can start with what you're seeing around um, the improvements in efficiencies around surgical services, especially as it relates to organizations who may need to improve their revenues or reduce their costs, you know, or, or improve their overall operating margins. What are some of the things that you're seeing around that improvement around surgical services? Um, so, so thanks. So I think the first thing in terms of looking at overall efficiency is putting a governance structure in place where surgeons, anesthesiologists, hospital leadership come together and make a decision that we're going to operate our perioperative service line in a very efficient manner. And, and part of that is looking at where there's need and demand for perioperative capacity and staff and adjusting our resources to meet that demand. So it's, it starts with looking at how you allocate your block time and your block schedule, but increasingly what organizations are doing is they're looking at heat maps where they can look at their demand for surgical time by time of day and day a week. And that allows them to both allocate capacity 
and allocate staff so there's an efficient balance between where we're putting our resources and where we need our resources. So I, I would think under this governance model, you know, you're gonna have physicians who are leading this. They, it may be you know, physicians from different specialties coming together, um, focusing on a lot of operational efficiencies. Um, does this same group often come in and tackle sort of the clinical efficiencies to come up with say protocols or pathways or reduce some of the unwarranted care variation that you, know, you end up seeing in a lot of the surgical services? Yeah, I think what you want is the surgical services executive committee to really act as a board of directors to drive perioperative services. So they need to drive revenue and they need to drive cost and improve efficiency. Part of the waste is looking at how we manage an episode of care. So what you wanna do is to have a consistent pathway depending upon the procedure that you're helping to guide that patient from the moment of scheduling to optimizing that patient clinically prior to surgery and communicating with that patient after discharge. You're, what you want to do is you want to manage the episode of care. You don't just want to do surgery and get them out safely. You want to manage the entire experience. Well, and it's such a good point. You know, we've done a lot of work on the front end, uh, both in terms of, you know, helping create efficiencies around access and, and the input of patients as they enter the system. And in some cases, boy, you can reduce costs by 10 to 15% when you cut out some of those inefficiencies in the process. As you're, as you're talking through the episode of care and particularly the, the clinical component of that, I can't help but think that there's got to be a lot of cost savings related to that. What have you seen in terms of the impact of organizations as they've experienced these clinical efficiencies around the surgical services? So the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure you're optimizing your patient clinically. If a patient is going to have a major procedure like a hip or knee replacement and they're a diabetic, you want to make sure their blood sugar is optimized. You want to make sure there's no cardiac issues because if you do a surgery on a patient where their blood sugar has not been managed within norms over two weeks, there's a 25% likelihood of a um, complication or a bad outcome. So it's optimizing that patient clinically. It's also looking at clear pathways that there isn't variation. This is how we're gonna get the patient ready for surgery. This is how we're going to prep the patient the day of surgery. This is how we're gonna manage the patient. Today with a total hip um, or a total knee, what the expectation is, is that patient will be ready to go home within two hours after they get out of the operating room. So what do we do so that patient expects to get out, their pain is managed well with blocks during the surgery, and that we've prepared their family or significant other in how to care for that patient after they've left. 
All of that needs to be coordinated. And by doing it, we're getting better outcomes and we're saving money. Absolutely. And, you know, I think is, as organizations are thinking through this, you know, you're absolutely right. The outcomes increase dramatically for patients, but you have an opportunity to, you know, focus on increasing your volumes through the efficiencies. You have an opportunity to maximize a lot of your revenue potential because, you know, again, you're, you're managing the case under a full episode and then your cost structure is just much more efficient. So I think the benefits is, is I've talked with CFOs around the country, the benefits of having an efficient surgical process, I think is just enormous for organizations. Um, could, so, I add, could I add something to the efficiency discussion? Sure, go ahead, yeah. I think the other thing is in terms of getting waste out is providing surgeons with information with scorecards. If a surgeon is doing knee replacements, we want to see what the cost is of that surgeon doing the knee replacement in terms of the implant, in terms of the product that they use, and how those costs vary with other surgeons doing the same procedure in their facility and national benchmarks. It's not uncommon to have a $2,000 variation between surgeons in terms of the supplies they use for the same procedure and that surgeon that is using higher expensive supplies and more of them typically is not seeing a better outcome. So part of what we need to do is we need to use information to make surgeons aware of how their decisions are impacting cost. Once they're aware of it they, and they realize they deviate from their peers, um, a large number of those surgeons will reduce yeah. their cost per procedure. Yeah, I think just providing that level of information and God, as you're talking about that, I mean, it just helps, you know, I, I can't help but think that that variation, that swing in the cost structure, just making physicians aware of that, because frankly, probably they don't, they don't even know. They I think making know. them aware of that. Yeah, that, I think you're going to, you're going to definitely see some, some big improvement opportunities. Um, I'm going to spend a couple of minutes on another topic that I, I brought up in my opening remarks, and, I, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, Jeff. Um, you know, there's there's a big push uh, over the last number of months on this site of service shift from acute ambulatory. Many of the organizations are, are have focused on you know maybe what their ambulatory strategy is. Obviously, it's, it's taken a, a hit off of some of the reimbursement because of procedures they used to do in the, in the hospital. They're now doing in the emergency department or they're getting pushback from the payers because I'm not their emergency department, but the ASC. They're getting pushback from the payers that, you know, why are you doing this in the hospital? You should be doing this in the, in the surgery center. What are some of the things that you're hearing? What are the, some of the things that, that, that you're seeing around this? Well, I think the major trend is what certain payers are doing, like the New York Blues are saying, we're not 
going to pay for a hernia or a endoscopic procedure unless it's done in a freestanding ASC. So part of what's driving the movement to offsite ambulatory facilities is the payers are saying it's less expensive for us. We're seeing the same or better outcomes. We're not gonna pay for a procedure to be done even in a hospital-based ambulatory surgery center because we know our costs can be 40% less in an offsite facility. The other thing that's driving it is that there's higher patient satisfaction, higher surgeon satisfaction when procedures are performed in an ambulatory surgery setting. So it's being driven by the payers, it's being driven by the patients, it's being driven by the surgeons. I think it's our responsibility as healthcare leaders to say, let's not ignore what the trends are telling us. Let's find a way that we can be successful in our ambulatory strategy. Yeah, and I think it, it really calls for organizations to think about how they want to deliver surgical services differently and certainly focusing a lot more on, you know, on, on an ambulatory surgery um, strategy, but really more of a, a support structure around that that would be all encompassing on what the output would be to the patients, the impact on the physicians, certainly the reimbursement, I think would be important. You know, there's, a, there's been a lot of press that's been out there as well, too. Um, as an example, you know, Ascension announced a couple months ago, I mean, they are doubling down on their ambulatory surgery initiatives, right? And they're not the only one. When you look at HS, HCA and Trinity and, and some of the other large health systems as well, I mean, they're doubling down on their ambulatory surgery um, centers and, and where they want to begin to focus this, because I think they see that trend, right? They see what those opportunities are and probably are taking advantage of some of those things. Yeah, I mean, I think what the major systems are saying is this is where our business is and we have to think out how we're going to successfully succeed in the business and it's, it's changing. So historically, most ambulatory surgery facilities were joint ventures with surgeons. That's certainly a trend that makes a lot of sense. Um, it locks in your referral channel, but at the same time, more than 50% of all surgeons or of all physicians now are not employed by a physician group, but they're employed by a hospital, health system, or an insurance company. So you sort of got those referrals locked in. It's very market specific. If you just have to develop an ambulatory surgery strategy, or you have to do that strategy as part of a joint venture, I think it's also important to point out that ambulatory surgery strategies that are successful and are um, sustainable, the ambulatory surgery center is a component to an ambulatory campus where there's physician offices, where there's diagnostics 
and there's rehab. Healthcare, for the most part now, is an ambulatory business. So you want to create campuses closer to where your patients live, where they can access those resources in a convenient way. Yeah, that's an interesting point. So I guess what you're saying is almost you're seeing organizations develop, you know, taking the surgery center concept and expanding that into an outpatient slash ambulatory, you know, surgical campus, if you will, right? Where you're actually including maybe an MOB and with the ASC and it becomes an all-inclusive, very comprehensive set of services on an outpatient basis, really devoting those services to the patients within that community so they don't have to travel anymore. Yes. And it's got to be very service line focused. So one of the more profitable ambulatory procedures is orthopedics. It makes a lot of sense to have orthopedic surgeons' offices there, to have the MRI and CT and diagnostics there, for them to have surgery there, but also to have physical therapy. As we're looking at some of the higher intensity and acute services that are moving into an ambulatory setting, particularly cardiology, where they're doing heart catheterizations, doing stints on an ambulatory basis, you clearly want that entire service line. So you've got the physician's offices, you've got that interventional suite, but that you've also got the follow-up work associated with it. So again, we're trying to manage the disease. We're not trying to just do a task by doing surgery. We're looking at the patient as a whole, and we're looking at their problems in a comprehensive manner. Well, sure. And it it also then, um, I think, allows for the opportunity to to, um, support the value-based care strategy of an organization because you're really thinking about this longitudinally across an episode of care, not just isolated or siloed upon a particular service, which clearly is more fee-for-service driven. So you could definitely see that. As organizations are incorporating these types of strategies, and and I love this strategy, I think it just makes so so much sense. You know, you had mentioned you know, potentially joint ventures or other strategic partnerships. Are, are you seeing physicians and hospitals or maybe even private equity coming together to sort of build these outpatient campuses? Or is this more hospital driven in, in terms of the funding? What are you kind of seeing in terms of that regard? So I think the important thing to recognize is private equity has understood that there is a lot of profit in surgery. So you see a lot of private equity in orthopedics and urology that are buying up groups, developing very robust practices, and having surgery and diagnostics as a component of it. But I think systems need to think through what is the best way to enter a market. In some cases, it's developing it, but in other markets where there's a established surgery centers that were joint ventures and have been in existence for a while, a lot of those surgeons are maturing in their practice. There isn't as much opportunity 
to sell and cash out. If a system wants to get more involved in an ambulatory market and there's an existing surgery center there, investing in that <clears throat> surgery center, acquiring the physician's practices and their ownership in it is, is, is highly attractive. It's getting much more difficult to get younger physicians to put up capital in a joint venture surgery center. Yeah, you can see that. I mean, many of them are certainly coming out of residency or moving from one practice to another. I mean, they're risk averse, right? They don't have a lot of capital to put put forth. But I think if you can create a structure that at least allows some level of investment, it ties them in. Um, but but I do like you know the the joint venture, the strategic partnership concept with maybe you know a few different types of in investment strategies around it because i think it allows for the diversification and allows you to be able to expand plus nobody then is assuming too much risk right and a number of these venture capital uh, firms that are getting into the surgical space are very open to joint venturing with hospitals and health systems they've got capital but the health system has a marketing channel with primary care physicians and employed physicians. So there's lots of options out there. It's figuring out what is the organization's goal for ambulatory surgical services? What is their competitive situation? And then evaluating which strategy gives them the greatest likelihood for success but they're still very profitable where yeah. you're seeing annual returns of 25 to 40% on investment. So it's still an extremely profitable, attractive business to be in. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I know a lot of the, the work that we've been able to do in helping organizations consider these strategies, the, the return on them, you know, with a true focus strategy has a lot of opportunities to it. Well, Jeff, this has been fantastic. I, I appreciate your time. I think you brought up uh, some, some really important concepts that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to give strong consideration to, particularly, I think, how you create efficiencies from the surgical services, you know, reducing costs, but really thinking about this around an episode as opposed to a task or a particular component of the service. I, I think that's just so important. And then I think as organizations are thinking about their ambulatory surgery center, focusing on what that strategy is of tomorrow, maybe that next generation of ambulatory surgery services um, becomes really important. If any of our listeners are interested in more information, and I'm sure many of them will, any articles, any things that you can reference? I know you, even in your website, that might be important for folks. Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do is to just reach out to me at jpeters at surgicaldirections.com. That's jpeters at surgicaldirections.com. I'm happy to answer any questions. We've written a couple hundred articles on the topic. Anything that would help you be more successful in terms of your strategy and your career. So thank you very much, Dan. It's always a pleasure to have an opportunity to talk with you. Well, thanks, Jeff. This is this is great stuff. And I know as we continue working with folks around the country, 
One of our big goals is, is connecting people and, and really providing some strong level of support and competency to people in the industry that, that need that help and need that support. So I want to thank you for spending a little time with us today. Um, you know, just as, as a quick wrap up, I think the, you know, our industry continues to evolve. And, you know, what what's it, was important last year um, quickly changes and, and may not be as important. And then there's there's new areas that affect strategy, affects reimbursement, affects, frankly, the care that we deliver to our patients. Um, you know, I, I, I believe for some time as we focus on value-based care and, and value-based outcomes, surgical services drive so much cost for the organization and is such an important level of service that organizations, I think, that really focus on what that strategy is, continues to reinvent themselves around potentially moving from acute to ambulatory. Although that may be a little bit tough for some of the CFOs, um, it makes a lot of sense. That's where the industry is going. And I think as more and more organizations can be proactive around governance, around the types of services that they want to provide in support of their surgical services, maybe the strategic partnerships you know, they don't have to assume all the risk. I think that's what's going to be a big differentiator for a lot of our health systems and, you know, for our independent hospitals, frankly. I want to thank everybody for their time today. Until next time, I'm Dan Marino. Thank you very much. We want to thank you for listening to the Value-Based Care Insights Podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on the journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com slash insights. Join us again, where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging to help us understand how we can continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.